Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. Five books that changed my life. I've once heard that one of the key differences between the wealthy and the poor is how often they read. The wealthy are always learning, and one of the best ways to learn is by reading. In comparison, the poor think the end of schooling is the end of learning and would rarely read. According to CNBC, those who read seven or more books per year are more than 122% more likely to be millionaires, as opposed to those who never read or only read one to three books per year. Take one of the most wealthy men in the world, Bill Gates, who reads 50 books a year, or Warren Buffett, who spends as much as 80% of his day reading. Entrepreneur.com also published this article stating that millionaires read for self-improvement, and 85% of self-made millionaires read two or more books per month. I was not a big reader, I have to admit, because reading never came naturally to me. I'm a very slow reader, so growing up, I've always avoided reading if possible outside of schoolwork. Thanks to the brilliant invention of Audible, now I read much more often and have been aiming to read one book a month. By the way, this episode is not sponsored by Audible since I have not worked up to the status of being sponsored yet, so it is indeed a heartfelt recommendation. Self-improvement books, especially personal finance or business-related, are hands down my favorite and practically the only category I would read on. The five books that I'm going to talk about today are all in the self-improvement category. Number one, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I used to think the way to make other people like you in order to influence them is to appear superior to them. If you appear prettier, smarter, richer, etc., other people will flock to you. How naive was I? Appearing superior to people would only repel them, because one of the strongest human emotions is jealousy. Almost counterintuitively, to make people like you, you have to make it all about them, not you. I've once heard that the highest level of understanding business is to understand human psychology. At the end of the day, businesses are not successful because of emotionless technology, which is merely an enabler. Rather, businesses are successful because of competent people who like working for their bosses and hence putting their best work. People are emotional animals, despite thousands of years of evolution. I've certainly failed to recognize that for a long time. I thought education and the advancement of technologies made us more rational, but it may just be the opposite. There is so much gold in this book in the interest of time, I want to at least mention the six ways to make people like you from this book. A. Become genuinely interested in other people. B. Smile. C. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. D. Be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. E. Talk in terms of the other person's interests. F. Make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. 
The other must-share quote from the book I really love is the following on criticism. Criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself. Criticism is dangerous because it wounds a person's precious pride, hurts his sense of importance, and arouses resentment. Any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. But it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. To be clear, this book is not about pretending everything is rainbows and roses. It does advocate for self-criticism and admitting one's own mistakes quickly and emphatically. People tend to be more critical of others and defensive about oneself, but the opposite is what one should do for self-improvement. This book is so fundamental to changing my perception and subsequently my action of how to interact with other people. Number two, the law of human nature by Robert Greene. This book only came out in 2018, so it's pretty recent. But man, was it a shocker when I read it? Similar to How to Win Friends and Influence People, this book is also based on human psychology. In particular, I believe the book relied heavily on Freud's psychological theories. For example, Freud believed that events in our childhood had a great influence on our adult lives, shaping our personality. In addition, in Freud's psychoanalytic theory of personality, the unconscious mind is defined as a reservoir of feelings, thoughts, urges, and memories that are outside of conscious awareness. Why are these theories important to understand human nature? Listen to some quotes from the book. A. After all, you might argue, we are now so sophisticated and technologically advanced, so progressive and enlightened. We have moved well beyond our primitive roots. We are in the process of rewriting our nature. But the truth is, in fact, the opposite. We have never been more in the thrall of human nature and its destructive potential than now. And by ignoring the fact, we are playing with fire. B. We want to feel significant in some way, to protest against our natural smallness, to expand our sense of self. What we experienced at the age of three or four unconsciously haunts us our entire lives. We alternate between moments of sensing our smallness and trying to deny it. This makes us prone to finding ways to imagine our superiority. C. People will tend to leak out more of their true feelings. And certainly hostile ones when they are drunk, sleepy, frustrated, angry, or under stress. They will later tend to excuse this as if they weren't themselves for the moment. But in fact, they are actually being more themselves than ever. To sum it up, human evolution has not changed the fact that we are emotional animals. We have many of the primitive emotions, such as ego, envy, stubbornness. Irrationality, etc. We suppress these emotions, and they go to our subconscious mind and manifest themselves in dreams or when we are "quote unquote" not ourselves. That is, when we are drunk, sleepy, frustrated, angry, or under stress. Learning about this explains so much of why people feel and behave the way they do. What's really interesting and therefore convincing about the arguments made in this book 
is that they are backed by examples of historical figures and the associated events, including Pericles, Queen Elizabeth I, Sir Isaac Newton, Martin Luther King Jr., Joseph Stalin, Richard Nixon, and many others. If the most famous and infamous people throughout history were subject to the law of human nature, who am I to defy it? True testimony. After reading this book, I felt less anxious, resentful, and jealous about people and their behavior, and even my dreams changed. This is the miracle it has done to me. Number three, the millionaire next door, by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. This one is a bit of a shift from the previous two books, in that it is not psychology based, but rather a true business and finance book. That said, you will soon see why this book may be connected to the previous one. The authors of this book, through extensive research, identified seven common traits that show up again and again among those who have accumulated wealth. Most of the truly wealthy in America don't live in Beverly Hills. Or on Park Avenue, they live next door. According to this book, the seven basic characteristics of wealthy people are: a) they live well below their means; b) they allocate their time, energy, and money efficiently in ways conducive to building wealth; c) they believe that financial independence is more important than displaying high social status; d) Their parents did not provide economic outpatient care. E. Their adult children are economically self-sufficient. F. They're proficient in targeting market opportunities. G. They chose the right occupation. This book validated my long-held belief and behavior regarding finances. I have always been very frugal, at first by necessity and now by choice. Of course, there has been criticism about me being cheap from friends and family. By the way, none of them are millionaires. Going back to why this book, in my mind, is linked to the previous book, *The Law of Human Nature*, I am convinced that the reason why most people are not millionaires is because of their psychology. According to a study conducted by Yale and stated in *The Millionaire Next Door*. Individuals measure the level of their success through comparison to nearest neighbors and/or closest relatives. Therefore, as the level of income rises, so will their desire to outperform those that they compare themselves to. In colloquial terms, people are playing the keeping up with the Jones game. So instead of the seven characteristics mentioned above, they are doing the exact opposite. Why do people do this? Remember the law of human nature. We want to feel significant in some way, to protest against our natural smallness, to expand our sense of self. In other words, we want to feel superior to others. I'm as guilty as anybody else. I still feel the urge sometimes to compare, while knowing that it really doesn't matter what is displayed on the surface, but the financial independence status, which is under the surface. That's why I love this book. Because I can go back to it from time to time to keep me grounded. Number four, the simple path to wealth by J. L. Collins. The list is getting better and better, isn't it? Who doesn't like something simple? When I discovered this book, it was like an epiphany. Before that point, 
my husband and I were chugging along with figuring out real estate investing, and it was hard. Not only did it require capital, but also time and energy, which we didn't possess in great quantities, to be honest. But I wasn't complaining. Building wealth should be hard, and that's why most people don't do it, right? Then I heard on a Bigger Pockets podcast episode about this book. By the way, if you haven't heard of Bigger Pockets, go check it out. It's the best real estate investing forum out there. I read it, and sure enough, as the title promised, there is a very simple path to build wealth. Namely, save as much as you can and invest in total stock market index funds. That's it. But of course, the higher percentage of your income you can save, the faster you can retire, aka achieve financial independence. Even though the book may not be what started the financial independence, retire early, or FIRE movement, it certainly has been referenced by the FIRE community very often. Some of the most well-known statements from this book are A. Try saving and investing 50% of your income. With no debt, this is perfectly doable. B. When you can live on 4% of your investments per year, you are financially independent. C. Before you start trying to pick individual stocks and or fund managers, ask yourself this simple question. Am I Warren Buffett? If the answer is no, keep your feet firmly on the ground with indexing. D. Being independently wealthy is every bit as much about limiting needs as it is about how much money you have. It has less to do with how much you earn. High-income earners often go broke while low-income earners get there than what you value. Money can buy many things, none of which is more important than your financial independence. E. Since money is the single most powerful tool we have for navigating this complex world we've created, understanding it is critical. If you choose to master it, money becomes a wonderful servant. If you don't, it will surely master you. Most notably, the 50% savings rate and 4% withdrawal rate are used as a rule of thumb by many FIRE community folks. By simple math, in order to live on 4% of your investment portfolio, for a typical household that spends $60,000 annually, a $1.5 million investment portfolio is needed. In other words, in order to achieve FIRE, most likely you will need to become a millionaire. Can you see how this book is also connected to the previous one? Number 5. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki This book is perhaps so well cited that no introduction is needed. I do have to admit though that this book is the one that fundamentally changed my mindset and set me on track for investing and wealth generation. I've heard about this book since I was a kid, probably in 5th grade but I didn't read it until my mid to late 20s. Fun fact, I despised self-help books when I was young. Anyway, when reality hits, meaning when I had to make a penny on my own in the real world, it just dawned on me that I didn't want to work at a miserable job for the rest of my life. So I started looking for help, and this book was just everywhere. I finally read it, and that's around the time I started investing in real estate with my husband. He was also at a miserable job, and it was not long after the Great Recession, so perfect timing. 
Even though many people attribute their real estate investment success to this book, because Robert did talk about it a lot, and he is a real estate investor himself, it is really a mindset book. Listen to just a sample of the best quotes from this book. A. In school, we learn that mistakes are bad, and we are punished for making them. Yet, if you look at the way humans are designed to learn, we learn by making mistakes. We learn to walk by falling down. If we never fell down, we would never walk. B. The single most powerful asset we all have is our mind. If it is trained well, it can create enormous wealth in what seems to be an instant. C. You are only poor if you give up. The most important thing is that you did something. Most people only talk and dream of getting rich. You've done something. D. There is a difference between being poor and being broke. Broke is temporary. Poor is eternal. E. The poor and the middle class work for money. The rich have money work for them. F. Lastly, my favorite. I can't afford it. Shut down your brain. It didn't have to think anymore. Besides, it also brings up sadness, a hopelessness that leads to despondency and often depression. How can I afford it? Opened up the brain, forced it to think and search for answers. It also opens up possibilities, excitement, and dreams, and creates a stronger mind and dynamic spirit. Needless to say, this was the push I needed to venture out. Knowing that I may make mistakes and fail and lose money, and yes, they all happened, but I learned a tremendous amount, and I got wiser, more patient, more open to new ideas, more willing to try new things, etc., etc. Investing in real estate is what ultimately made me a millionaire by age thirty-five. Even though I started out late compared to a lot of people, only in my late twenties, and with debt, with family obligations, etc., etc. Yes, what mattered was I did something. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I wholeheartedly recommend all of the books to you if you haven't read them already. Of course, there are many other great books out there, but if you want a good place to start, try these first. They definitely changed my mindset and my life in a great way, and I hope they can have a similarly positive impact on you as well. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 